ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Darling, listen, I want to warn you, there are curse words ahead. Also, if you haven't watched the episode, what are you doing? Go now and watch it. We wouldn't want things to get spoiled now, would we? Good evening. I'm Helen Norville. And I'm Dale Jennings. You are watching News at Six. I'm Lee. I am not your family, Sales. And I'm Lisa with a celebrity smorgasbord, Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode two of the Newsreader Companion podcast, People Like You and Me. This one was written by Kim Ho, and oh man, it was a bit of a roller coaster. I loved the opening with the team dinner at Little Charlie's Mansion. So I'd like to propose a toast to the News at Six family. To us, cheers to you all. News at Six family. News at Six. To us. <laughs> Why have networks over the years insisted on conveying themselves in their promos as being like your family? Oh, come on, Mum, don't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> You shut up. You're my annoying little sister. Oh, you're the <laughs> nana. You're the nana. <laughs> Drum roll, please, Robert. Yeah. Well done, sir. He unveils a mock-up of the artwork for the bicentennial coverage. Hey, yeah, there you go. It's another promo. No, nice. Yeah. Our biggest yet, especially for the year 88 bicentennial. Charlie calls it the faces of a nation. There they are, the blokes and one woman. All white. (laughs) They get a call from the newsroom, though. There's been a shooting. Nolene goes to Helen to get some advice about that relationship. And then we see makeup artist Cheryl being used by Evelyn to get the dirt on the news at six. How's Cheryl wanting tea with three sugars? Does anyone have three sugars in their tea these days? Well, clearly Cheryl did back then. The news at six coverage of the Hoddle Street shooting raises so many ethical dilemmas for this group. It leads to a complaint and then Helen goes to Charlie direct and in the end we see that it might be Lindsay who's in a whole lot of strife. He's hot-headed. Yeah, volcanic. Yeah. <laughs> Later on in this episode, we'll meet Anna Torv, who plays the complicated Helen Norville. Boy, do we have some questions for her. I feel like the word for this episode is intrigue. The intrigue is really building. And I think that's because of the emergence of a couple of villains. One of them's Evelyn, who's getting sort of craftier and craftier. Cheryl, I would never exploit a family's tragedy like that. And the other is this new proprietor, Charlie Tate, who is a character, I must admit, I've really immediately taken to. I think he's a fantastic addition. Yes, yes. I can't wait to see how he develops. I think he's just a really good addition to the mix. Actually, the word that I would use is discomfort. I felt as a viewer really uncomfortable at a lot of scenes. And, you know, I also was feeling for Helen when at this dinner and they're talking about how Australia's going to throw themselves a year-long party and she's the one that raises what about the Aboriginal perspective. I did check and uh, Ernie Dingo is taken, so... Well, we have the the Irish comedian perspective, but we can't have a single 
Aboriginal person. Oh, come on, Helen. Honestly, look, any dingoes, they don't grow on trees. And I just thought, this is an interesting next step with Helen. Uh, Where is she going with how she is going to try and fight the battles that she sees need to be fought? And then we see it with the gun lobbyist. It's the question then is how she handles it when the cameras are rolling. I did think that the way she went off at the gun lobbyist was totally unprofessional myself. I thought her conduct on air was oh, yeah. not professional. Because a civilian was able to walk into a shop oh. on High Street and walk out with a military-grade weapon made for war zones. Now, if you condone that, are you not essentially condoning all the deaths on Hoddle Street? She kind of baffles me a bit because she can be so cold, like... You know, the scene where Nolene goes to speak to her to ask about her advice as the only other female journalist in the place, her advice with Rob. Rob and I are together. And Helen is so cold and blunt. I'd recommend investing in a suit and stop dressing like a schoolgirl. You're a producer now, Nolene. Be assertive and stand your ground. And it made me wonder, and I was going to ask you, do you think that working in the news turns you into a colder, blunter person because of the need to do everything at speed under extreme time pressure and to suppress your own normal human emotion all the time? Or do you think that people who are naturally cold and blunt are drawn to the profession? Uh, I'm going to refuse to answer that on the basis (laughs) that it might incriminate me. That's a big question, Sarsie. <laughs> I know. I do wonder and have wondered over my own career the, the consequences and the cost of having to suck down normal human emotion all the time. We can see here that Helen is definitely under pressure to conform and we're getting a real sense of Lindsay's aggro. Well, they've been giving us some information, Helen, complaints. Hundreds of them about our coverage. Too confronting. But mostly they're complaints about you. They're amazing how they keep the tension building. It's sort of like they bring you up, you're anxious, Lindsay screaming, <laughs> and then you're kind of taken back down again. And what I'm curious about with Charlie, okay, so you like Charlie. I'm not so sure about Charlie. Well, I would what say I'm, I like Charlie. No, you said you like Charlie. As a Charlie. character. As a mm, character. I like well, him as a character. But this idea <laughs> that he's now saying she's got to take a softer approach. I don't know, it's just your whole approach. I mean, it's just gruelling. It's aggressive. It's... A fucking massacre? Yeah. Well, you want me to soft-pedal this? No, it's just I've seen you cover tragedies in the past, right? When you were beside Jeff, Jeff was the stoic, you were his counterweight. You let the news affect you. It was as if you were channelling our emotions for us. I mean, I've seen you cry on the bloody TV before. So, cos I'm a woman, that's how I'm supposed to respond? Yes. Oh, man, that really irked me and maybe there was a reason for it, but I feel like none of the blokes are having that kind of conversation where she is being told she's gruelling and aggressive. To, to be honest, I actually feel feel like that's because none of the blokes are as aggressive as Helen. Like, I do think she's over the line with her aggression. But I mean more generally, it doesn't take a lot for women to be seen as aggressive or too much in an interview when, in fact, they may be just speaking in the same way that a man might have spoken to. And you've seen it. You've seen it over the years, Salsi. Come on, you've got to give that. Oh, I've been the target of it. <laughs> like, you know, um, of course, I've been criticised many times for being aggressive in interviews. And often what happens is the reaction to it is 
very gendered in a way that it's not for a man, right? Because you might be called a nag or a scold or those kind of terms. So those are the terms that are reserved for women who are kind of aggressive in political interviews. And and that's what I'm talking about then. When she gets criticised as gruelling and aggressive and your instincts are off, that's what I mean about what triggered me. Good morning. I'm Helen Norville. Police have now arrested a 19-year-old former military cadet in the wake of last night's shooting spree, which has left six confirmed dead and another 18 people wounded. Can we just go back a step? Because some of these events in this show are now a long time ago and there might be people listening who don't actually know very much about the real-life events that some of these episodes are set around. So this shooting, the Hoddle Street massacre that they're talking about in this episode, it really did happen. Yeah, it did really happen. Sunday, August the 9th, 1987, seven people died, 19 people were seriously injured. Made me go down a bit of a rabbit hole because I needed to remember what had happened. Uh, Hoddle Street is just a couple of k's from the CBD of Melbourne. And it made me realise that actually someone I work with on ABC News Breakfast quite often, was there that day. So I really want to bring in Steve Carey, who was a reporter on the ground, one of the first to get there, and then he ended up being a news boss later in life. He's now a crisis manager. Steve, g'day. What was it like to actually be a reporter there? It was crazy. It was absolutely chaotic. There's no other way to put it. I I drove my car up Punt Road uh, leading to Hoddle Street, and all I'd got was a basically a page saying, hey, there's been a bus crash. So I had no idea. And a young copper stopped my car probably a couple hundred metres away and I did what most reporters did at the time. I turned down a side street, parked the car, jumped a couple of fences and next thing you know, I'm I'm literally in the thick of what was happening, running around, police going everywhere. It was absolutely chaotic. This episode deals with a whole lot of questions about ethics because one of the scenes that, you know, is going to make a lot of people think about how the media operate is when the vision is put to air and they, a family discovers that their father is the dead man in the car. Did stuff like that actually happen during that period? Look, there are a lot of ethical questions involved in that. I mean, you could talk about the ethics of jumping fences and running towards the scene of something that police were trying to contain, but we all took the view at the time. I mean, who knew? Who knew what it was that was unfolding? It was so out there. But in our newsroom at seven at the time, I remember there was never a question that we were going to show bodies. That was that was right off the agenda right from the start. But what we did grapple with was the severe nature of it and how you could get to every single family uh, to let them know that you're going to broadcast. I mean, because we didn't have the names of those people anyway. So we took the view collectively that it had happened, it was in the public domain, and we were going to run some of that vision, which was quite horrific. And I don't think about it a lot, and I haven't thought about this kind of stuff for a long time, but... It was uh, it was chaotic at the time, and 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 it made people stop and pause because this was Melbourne, you know. It wasn't some crazy place overseas. It was Melbourne, and it was only a few k's from the city centre that this had unfolded. So the time you had to think and react was compressed. So decisions were made very much under pressure. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us at short notice. Your pleasure. Bye bye. Hey, 
Hey, Lee, I wanted to say that I'm sure some of the people watching this episode might feel some revulsion for seeing the excitement that happens with a big story going on in a newsroom. It is a very uncomfortable reality, I think, with journalists say when, you know, you win awards for stories that you've done. You often are profiting and, you know, being lauded off the back of other people's misery. Yeah. And that scene where Lindsay is asking the editor and the cameraman, you know, were they the only ones there? Oh, bloody heroes, eh? First on the scene. Is that a dead body? Yeah. They just left him there. Am I cutting around that or...? No, I mean, we should keep it, right? What? Right, if we're going to make the hour, we've got to hurry up. So, Lindsay, what do you reckon? Um, we're the only network with these images. Mm-hmm. Run the bloody things in with a big graphic. First on the scene. I don't know. It's a it's an insidious part of our profession that I guess you know it it requires. I think for people that do that kind of journalism year after year after year, that frontline stuff, you do have to suppress your own kind of normal human emotion, which we see like actually Rob unable to do very successfully in this episode. He's not a Helen and he's not a Dale. He's a sports journo. And so he's not used to that world. Uh, And so he finds it really difficult to disconnect from what's just happened because of his personal involvement. I did want to raise one other thing, and it's about Cheryl, the makeup artist, and how believable it is the way that she spreads gossip to Evelyn. I must say, I was shocked at your coverage, airing a dead body on Morning News. I know. Oh, and you want to know the worst thing? Uh, That man's family, they saw it and they rang in. What? Yeah, that's how they found out he was dead. That's awful. Oh, goodness. Because there are lots of people in news environments. Makeup artists are one. Um, Jean, the PA, is another one where... They, they look like they're people who are peripheral, you know, in the newsroom, but they really are not. They are really quite central. And the makeup artist is often one of those people because they have a lot of access to private conversations and they can be real repositories of information and gossip. And often they're freelancers and so they move across networks. And mm-hmm. so you get this cross-pollination of information around the place. <laughs> cross-pollination <And> it... <laughs> of information. Oh, that's a good way to say gossip. <laughs> and in this case, you see Evelyn very carefully bank the information that Cheryl's providing her. I also want to ask um, about Kay and where do we think Kay is going because she's drinking more vodka in this episode and so I'm not quite sure what's happening with her vices here. Yeah, there's something badly wrong with Kay that I assume is going to be revealed, whether she owes somebody money or she's an alcoholic, she's a drug addict. Like, there's some issue with Kay that I think is going to come to the fore. Now, can we go back to Helen Can we talk about Helen's voice? We interrupt our programming with breaking news from the heart of Melbourne. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that all female television journalists of that era were attempting to ape yarn events delivery. Now, there might be some people listening to this who are too young to understand the influence of yarn events. So I'm just wondering if you can give people a bit of context about yarna. 
Well, I mean, we all just thought she was the ant's pants. She was what we wanted to be. She was travelling. She was uh, interviewing important people around the world. She was young. She was beautiful. She was smart. But even more than that, I just think people might not know who she is these days. Like, Jan Vent was a reporter on 60 Minutes and she was then the anchor of A Current Affair on Channel 9. Because when you think of it, Lisa, she's not been doing that since the mid-90s. I hadn't even thought that people might not know who Jan is. Yeah, isn't that interesting that you, you hadn't even thought of that? But actually, like anybody born past 1990, I think there's probably a chance that they don't really understand the influence of Jana Van. That goes to the heart of what we're talking about here because this is an era when everyone switched on their television. So you were watching Jana, you were watching these newsreaders, whereas now they don't have the same impact. And I think with Jana, because she was so, as you said, beautiful, amazing, she spoke in a very particular way, which I think is actually her natural way of speaking, which is she was quite a slow speaker and and quite a deep voice. And so you had this generation, and certainly it was my generation, of young female reporters, and everybody spoke like this <laughs> because they wanted to ape the Yarn event delivery. Lisa I, I had ABC no hope. News. <laughs> Yeah, I've gone back and looked at um, tape from that time and, you know, I am like three octaves higher. Hello, I'm Lisa Miller with more highlights from Coral Sea 92. It was disappointing to learn that Prime Minister Paul Keating won't be here to unveil a memorial, but organisers are still planning something big. As for today, while everyone was looking to the skies... I was attempting to throw my voice. When you hear my early 20s voice, it's really (laughs) unnatural and it doesn't sound like me at all. And that's because I felt like, oh, I talk too high. I've got to be more in the Yana pitch. Kunamulla's main industry, sheep farming, has been crippled by the drought. Now the government is looking to the future, hoping to give the town something to fall back on by diversifying its major industries. (laughs) You've nailed it, mate. I would love to know the inspiration for Helen Norville and that voice. And we are super lucky because Anna Torv, who plays Helen, is here with us. Anna, it's so lovely to meet you. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Now, um, it's kind of like, you know, art meeting life, right? (laughs) I feel like quite. (laughs) It's very strange. Um, Now, tell us firstly, what did you draw on to create Helen and the persona of Helen? The person or the or the well, newsreader? Well, actually, let's start with the newsreader because that's fascinating that you immediately drew the distinction because it's such a good distinction. So let's start with Helen, the newsreader. It's funny because um, I, when I first sort of read the script and when I started looking at the work, I really very much sort of labelled her as a newsreader and um, didn't sort of think about the journalist side of it, which is quite bizarre. And I think the reason I did that is I'd played a, uh, like a political journalist a while ago and when I did that I kind of dug in. I had to, had to met with some, I won't mention any names, <laughs> but had, you know, sat and talked with some pretty um, prominent political journalists in Canberra and I'd sort of put that to one side and then I was like, oh, she's a presenter. And then when I went in to do prep for the auto cue, the woman who sort of went through that I loved and we sat down and had like a big old chat and it's then that I was like, oh, you have to be a gun and you have to come up and if you don't, you're not respected and it's the same kind of like breed of human. And um, I feel like that sounds enough to be aware of who I'm talking to, but there it is a different thing. And so part of that is like there's there's a particular type of person that's comfortable putting a microphone in somebody's face and asking a question 
straight up. And so that's sort of where I started. Or also not where, you know, probably more like Lisa and I, where you have to kind of psych yourself to be that person, um, which is a bit more like Dale maybe in the show too. Yeah. But either way, you still do it. You still do it. Yeah. And you still have to be comfortable doing it. And you have to make the other person feel kind of comfortable if you really want to get what you want. And you have to be curious and interested. And there is an adrenaline that that comes with it and that is your job too. Like that's kind of what you're drawn to and the hype of the room and or the, you know, like getting the paper out or whatever it is that, you know, you you are allowed to be proud or excited by the fact that you, you know, got the story. That's something we've been talking about, Anna, because we wondered whether people who don't know the media might have been suffering from a bit of revulsion looking at the celebration of being the ones to get the shots and all the rest of it, because ethics comes into play in this episode in a really interesting way. I wanted to ask you, you know, we started talking about the difference between Helen Norville, the newsreader, and Helen Norville, the journalist, but also the other Helen Norville, I found it interesting how makeup was used with you, that you've got a lot of makeup on when you're putting on the mask and you're being Helen Norville, the newsreader. Then when you're stripped of the makeup, I feel like you're quite a different person. What kind of conversations went into that? I mean, God, Michael just did such a great job because you kind of immediately had the, you know, the heightened element of like being on that news desk and especially in the 80s. And I think it enabled us to kind of like have this really kind of like, you know, large kind of gap between the public and the and the personal. But because you're hitting it so high, be it the makeup, the wardrobe, the shoulder pads, but also the heightened energy and performance and the whole bit, in order for people to really hold on and actually believe the person, you have to strip it back and you have to take it all away. That's the affectation, the hair, the makeup, the whole bit. So there was lots of conversations about that to go, we have to have the element of nothing. And then she comes into the dressing room and gets dressed and we have all of those scenes. So lots of lots of talk which I think um, served us. Some of the real, when, when it's Helen, not the newsreader, some of those outfits, they were just so fun as a viewer. Like she arrives at the party at Charlie's house with that oh cardigan. <laughs> it's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> but even, but oh. even that is, I think, a costume. Yeah, of course. And, and I sort of go, so that's even the costume and it's... um And the very first scene in, in episode one as well, it's sort of like I think that there's... I was really specific about wanting that sort of thing. Yes, that had the cutaway yeah, kind of it scalloped was like this, neckline. Mm, the, yeah, and, it, and the hair. It was and my grade 12 bit. prom dress, actually. And that's exactly the point, <laughs> is that I wanted it to be like, where do you fit? Because you sure as shit don't fit in your clothes. Like, what is this and who are you? And like, have you aged out? And it's not aged out in like the trope that we talk about now, but like, how long have you been doing something? And here you are trying to fit yourself into this person that's no longer relevant to you. <laughs> well, and that's the same with da- Helen and Dale both don't really, they're not, neither of them is comfortable in their own no. skin. And so they've gone into these jobs as newsreaders, which actually really allows you to hide in plain sight. Yes. Can I ask you about that Helen and Dale relationship now that Lee's just raised that? Back to episode one in the hotel room where he tells her that Jerry gave him the nod about being in an open relationship. Can you talk us through what it felt like actually being in that scene and and how you kind of talked or dealt with going into it? Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, I was going to say Sam and I 
I, we just get each other and um, we get each other in a way that like often when you get someone, your rhythms and everything end up kind of the same and you mirror, but we don't. But yet we always kind of get the scene and we're always happy to try different things. And so walking into that scene, neither of us, I think, realised that that's what it was. But when you get in again, because we've just gone through the heightened election and all the bit, you go, well, we have to strip the clothes, the thing, it away to go, what actually is it? And I think that scene sort of sets it up to go, this is this is a real relationship and there was infidelity. One of the things that's really interesting that one of my mates said to me, who's a little bit older, who was around in newsrooms in this day, was I asked her if she had any good female mates like Lisa and I are mates. And she said, look, no, actually, because we were all so pitted against each other because there were so few mm. women there. Um, and so you were kind of trained to see the other women as your competitors and that if you, you know, were up, they were down. And you see that play out a little bit, I think, with Helen and Nolene where Nolene goes to Helen to ask her advice about Rob and, well, you know, what's pe- what are people going to think if it's out? And Helen's, like, really quite cool with it. She's not at all like, let's go have a drink and, you know, be mates or anything. She's, she's chilly. I don't know if it's chilly or just pragmatic. And I also think that it's interesting because even now, and this is even in my industry, it's only now that I'm starting to have a bunch of female actress mates that, uh, because honestly, you don't meet them. (laughs) And the joke of it is, is that because there can only ever be one. And usually there's only, there's like one older and one younger, you know, in whatever show you're doing. Or so you never actually hang around with women your own age that are also actresses that, you know, have been doing it. And now all of a sudden, we've all been doing it now for a long time. And there's like a commonality, you know, there. But I think that, um, you know, Helen's much older than Nolene and I think that that's just the truth of it. And especially back then and to be fair, still now. You know, Charlie's not that impressed with Helen at times in this episode and yet she has this conversation with him and he tells her the door's always open and there's kind of like this flutter of maybe romance. So I was a bit taken with that and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting because here's you've got the guy who runs the network and here's the female presenter. Yeah. But I think that's also, again, it's like that's how it goes. And she goes to him because... I think that's the one thing that Helen's never been afraid of is, fuck it, I'll go to the top. Like, who the fuck's going to help me now? Like, you go to the top. And so she goes to him and she says it straight and she says it super, super straight. You talk about stripped back. And that scene, I think, in this episode where she asks, what am I to do? And he goes, well, you're what does he say? You're too abrasive. You're too, you know, aggressive. You're too blah, blah, blah. And she's like, it's a fucking massacre. Like, what do you want me to do? He goes, well, you used to cry. She goes, so, okay. Okay. So I, I'll do that and it'll be fine. He goes, yeah. And then I think the fact that then she does it and it's right, meaning he calls to go, the doors always open. I just also think that there's a bit of that masochist in her. Yeah, I mean, I I found that fascinating that she did calibrate then her performance on the show. Um, And I wondered about it and I thought, you know, 
again, when you're immersed in news all the time, did she actually need somebody to give her a correction? Like, was she so deep into thinking, um, oh, I've got to get the story and I've got to do this and I've got to be hard hitting that she had sort of lost sight of her humanity? Like, I actually wondered if Charlie, for all his reptilian ways, had actually hit on something kind yeah. of fundamental. Yeah, and and Dale too. And that's kind of like, that's the push. Like, you, you, you always need that sounding board. And that's what Dale was so great at as her producer is kind of like going, well, how do we make this palatable? How do we still tell? And that's kind of the fight. How do we still tell the same thing but make it palatable for people to actually listen without banging it over, you know, everybody's head? Throughout season one and then in these first couple of episodes of season two, you get these little um, tidbits all the time that hint at Helen's past life and, and, you know, what what Helen's history is. How much do you in your preparation imagine a world and a life for Helen that's existed outside of what we see on the show? I kind of alternate. Um, with not just with Helen, but with all work, because I, I kind of um, I feel like David Mamet wrote this really great book called True and False, and one of the things he talks about is like you know you can research till the cows come home, but ultimately the audience only sees what they see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know if they if they don't have the information, they don't have the information. But if you're alluding to something, you need to know what it is. I mean, as far as her past goes. Michael and I did sort of need to sit down and nut that out just to work out what exactly that was, even though that's not referenced. And I did quite a bit of work on that. It's interesting. Um, it, it's funny hearing you talk and, and thinking about some of the parallels between journalism and acting, because also you can get lost down research rabbit holes in journalism too, say prepping for an interview, but you need a degree of it, even if you don't use it, because it's what enables you to kind of go out on the high wire. It's just all that background prep that informs what you're doing. Absolutely. But I think you would find it interesting to go, well, what's worth like, what are the interesting things for you to look into? And sometimes it's not what you think. Like sitting down and, and and some people do this and it really helps them, but sitting down and doing like a, you know, absolute chronology and writing stories about, you know, like her life from zero to where we get to now. I'm like, how much of that's going to serve? What am I better reading up on? <laughs> yeah, you just kind of, you, you pick and choose. Anna, do you like improvising? And do they let you do that on the show? With this particularly you kind of stay on point. So the, you know what the scene is and, and if you're going to improvise, it's because you want to take it into a different direction to see if potentially that could be a more interesting, you know, way to play it and sometimes you need to muck around with stuff. But I'll often switch things around or come in or, you know, send frantic emails to Michael the night before and to Emma and then come in just to give the other actor a chance because not everybody likes doing that. I like to be loose but with guidelines. You talked about the fact that Dale and Helen have a real relationship. I think that she loves him. And I say that sincerely. I think that, um, I mean, I don't think Helen would be, if she wasn't with Dale, I don't think she'd be with anybody else in any way at this point in her life. I think she tr- I think she just truly, truly loves him. Anna, it has been such a treat. It would be people's dream, I think, sometimes with favourite TV shows to be able to call in the creatives who've worked on it and then just ask every <laughs> question. So thank you for letting us pepper you with all of that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, she was lovely. Oh, totally. So... I am itching for episode three to see if Charlie Tate is really going to be able to wrestle <laughs> Lindsay because he's had that chat with Dennis, I might add, brilliantly played by Charma Helipola, who, of course, Charlie doesn't even see because of the inherent racism of the era, doesn't even consider Dennis as the possible Good actual point. replacement. But 
the one thing you can say about my man Lindsay is that they are going to need a team of big game hunters to come in if they want to take that bloke out, and I, for one, cannot wait to see them try it. Next week on the Newsreader podcast, we'll get the goss on all the outfits from designer Zedra Goilovich and Marg Downey, oh, God, I love her, who plays villain Evelyn Walters will be our guest. I cannot wait until we get to talk to her. Follow us on the ABC Listen app so you don't miss out on the next episode when it drops. You can also catch up with the series on ABC iView. Watch it anytime, anywhere. She's wrapped that up so comprehensively I've got nothing to say. Salesy, pick up your game, okay? We've got a big episode coming up and I just want to see a bit of professionalism from you. (laughs) See you next time, mate. (laughs) I can't even speak after that. That's just... It's like we're in your lounge room. We're in a professional recording studio about to put material out to the Australian public. Look at the respect I'm getting. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, Hey, is that the time? Because I've got an appointment with the hairdresser. My perm needs a redo. So (laughs) that's the end for episode two. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thanks to our producer, Michelle Weeks. And our executive producer, Alex Lolbach. Sound engineer is Angela Grant and the manager of ABC Podcasts is Monique Bowley. I'm Dale Jennings. This has been News at Six. Good night, Australia. And we're out. Hey there, I'm Beverly Wang. And I'm Benjamin Law. We're the hosts of the ABC podcast Stop Everything, a show about how everything in your feed reflects and affects the world with big-name interviews that go deep and ask... Why did celebrity chef Alison Roman agree to that interview with Z-Way? It's really the only thing that I regret in my whole life, probably. (laughs) Also, how rotted is Twitter nowadays? Pretty rotted. Mm. Why did Jury Judy's Ronald Gladden take the fall for James Marsden's giant poo. This guy just genuinely was like embarrassed and he said hey man like can you do me a solid and why is everyone in love with Pedro Pascal yeah I think that one is pretty obvious we don't need to explain that. Yeah true self evident but we're happy to talk about it nonetheless these are all real stories. Stop everything. We explain. We analyse and we often laugh at what the hell is happening in our crazy crazy world you can find Stop Everything on the ABC Listen app